Marcus. Yo. You like movies? Yes, I do. Hey, Shaka. Yes. Do you like movies? I do. Well, that's some great news. Because this is Zebras in America podcast. We are, you know, still in the middle of the pandemic. But if you're listening in the future, and I do believe that there is a future, then you are enjoying this wonderful episode. And if you're listening right now or around the now, because what is now even, then you are listening comfortably and we are all working remotely. But this is a very, very exciting episode because we have director, writer, actor, and most importantly, friend, Shaka King. Shaka King is known for Newlyweeds, which I scored and acted in. Moulin Yans, which which I acted in also. This is not about me. Uh, Laser Sism. <laughs> The brilliant laser system, system which you didn't, I you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have anything to do with that one. No, I put, I did a little music in laser system. Oh yeah, you did. Uh, Shaka's directed popular television shows, and his newest film, Judas and the Black Messiah, a movie about William O'Neill's betrayal of Fred Hampton, will be out on HBO Max and movie theaters by the time this episode comes out. Shaka was also a guest on episode fifty and has a special place in our heart because when Marcus, Shaka, and I were on Warren Wade Anderson's podcast Inside the Phoenix many years ago, that set forth, amongst other things, a domino effect which led to the prototype for us having a podcast, Zebras in America. And Shaka was always saying to me, you should make a podcast with Marcus about movies. And we did. And though Shaka has won many awards, most importantly, he's won over my mom and her friends. They fucking love him. They love you and they can't wait for you to come back for Yom Kippur dinner once again. I look forward to the day. Your friends and whether your mom's friends are just great people, as is your mom. You yeah. come from a good family, man. Thank you. As do you. Makes and sense. I think that's one of the reasons that you and I connected in many ways is that we we really care about family and our family is part of part of our identity yeah yeah and, and we have good families and we're lucky in that regard we really are marcus has a really beautiful lovely family too and i'm sure you know marcus's father willard pin rest in peace was a huge fan of yours shaka yeah he was i, oh, I remember you gosh. telling me about that the empty sable and yons but more more importantly, I, f- I keep forgetting you weren't there at that BAM screening. Your your cousin, I believe he was your cousin, the the, the darker skin guy from Millennium. Yeah, my cousin Gerard. Yeah, my yeah. dad. My dad like took over the Q and A. That's true. Of 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 that screening, he just started uh, talking about the movies he liked. Yeah, he just started talking. It was there, there were no questions, but he very much loved uh, Moulin that's, that's dope. Yeah. Man. That's dope. he liked Newlyweeds too. He he saw Newlyweeds. I made sure he saw that, but it was Millennium's that really resonated with him because he's an old new yorker and he he finds people like that very funny and uh yeah, how how are you shaka what's going on with you just uh you know staring at my computer 12 hours a day talking about the movie answering questions about the movie um you know selling the movie from home which is uh, i've never sold the movie and i've and very few people have sold the movie from home to a general audience so Breaking ground here. Yeah, because uh, last year, 
Warner at the end of the year, Warner Brothers was like, we're just going every movie that can be that was going to come out. We're going to do same day theater and same day on HBO Max. And because drive-ins and other countries that have been able to, you know, be okay in the pandemic, they could, they could, movies are doing okay. They're not doing what they would have done, but they're doing okay. But I also think that this gives people an opportunity to see your movie because everybody I know is like on Friday, I'm going to watch this movie. And that means that everybody around the world is going to watch a movie that is both cinematic, uh, embraces the embraces the three part form of quote unquote Hollywood filmmaking, also has reverence to history and tells a story that I truly believe needs to be told, which is the story of Fred Hampton. Yeah, so we, yeah, uh, last week we got a piece of fan mail that I thought would be really cool to save for you. Do you mind if we read, Shot? Please do. All right. This is from John Arminio, and I also want to say hi, Doug. Dear Zebras, one of my favorite movies of 2020, Sound of Metal, starring Riz Ahmed, was the focus of one of your excellent episodes and was mentioned in your also excellent 2020 Roundup episode. Admittedly, me being a metalhead, this movie had a bit of a head start for me, even if metal as a genre wasn't the focus of the film. Rather, the legitimacy of heavy metal as an art form being worthy of dedicating one's life to was a matter of course that did not need to be justified. Even if it was a somewhat niche variety of sludge metal, the music was taken seriously and a vital part of the souls of these very human, very deep characters. And, and after this, I, my question for you is, what are films that depict hip-hop in this way? Do you have any particular favorites that have similar respect for the music as an art form, as Sound of Metal does for its titular genre? Thanks for all the great film discussion. John Arminio. What do you got? I guess elements of that movie Big Words could kind of relate to uh, in in, in, in some way. I think Gene Gray's in Big Words. Uh, She is. Gene Gray is in it. Um... I don't know that movie. Hold on. I think it. I think it may have been at Sundance when we were at Sundance. But as it was around that time, it, it was around that time. Yeah, 2013. So what I can come up with is so top five Chris Rock. I think has a reverence for rap music as an art form. Um, Hustle and Flow, though a problematic movie and a weird movie, does take Southern crunk music seriously right um, down to like the equipment you're right i don't like that movie yeah. but in terms of how it explores how just how music's made i yeah I, I, yeah i'm not I, saying I it's a good movie it's a movie yeah. that i'm challenged by then sure. you have i think crush groove beat street wild mm-hmm. style ghost dog um dope but it was like dope was just like dope wasn't my favorite movie but i like that they really liked rap music and even the battle rap movie Bodied had a deep reverence for the format of battle rap. I just don't really like. I would, I would also include House Party. Oh, that, that's funny. I put that like you, maybe number one down there. Absolutely. That's funny because we were on a podcast 
called Call Out Culture. And we did a we did favorite rap based movies. And I think Marcus's one was House Party, was it not? Yeah, it was one of them. Absolutely. Uh, even again, just to how they like they get into little details of just like and trust me, I've been there growing up, like packing the speakers in the car, the turntables. Hey, stop yeah, pumping yeah. the table, little things like that. It, there's even a battle rap in it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. The whole idea of scratching. Dan- and I mean, the dan- dance is covered as well. You know, Absolutely. Choreography. It's so funny because recently, speaking of hip hop movies, my wife and I uh, kind of enjoyed the Salt and Pepper movie on Lifetime. And... Um, to my surprise, they actually got into like the little details of like recording and like it's it's you know like when when sonically when hip hop was 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 shifting its sound and it and then it reminded me too of how originally Salt and Pepper were supposed to be the two uh, love interests in House Party mm-hmm, because they kind of mm-hmm. because they kind of came up with Kid and Play and Martin Lawrence uh, but they kind of couldn't act and that's essentially what that really was got about it, where they where they went it, with, they it. went with actresses but. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, big words was Neil Drumming, and they came out in ah, 2013. Right. Yep, I knew it was around that time. So yeah, all, I just thought that was that was really cool. And you, me, and Marcus are huge music nerds. I was gonna say rap nerds, but it it goes much deeper than that. Like some of my favorite times is like when Chaka out of nowhere you'll send me like a random Japanese jazz techno record that I need to check out. And it makes me really happy. And another thing that made me really happy about your movie is, is that some music provided was by one of the greatest rappers, in my opinion, creative dudes, just good person, uh, Quelle Chris and Chris Keys. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you that I also think he's one of the, I think actually some a friend of mine we had to talk about like top five rapper producers all time. And Quelle made my top five rapper producers all time. Okay, so like, I'm yo, yo, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Dune. J D. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. DJ Quick. Yep. That's yours. That's not on mine. Okay. That's fine. Rock Marciano. He's on mine. Absolutely and, on mine. And Quelle. That's I would put Quelle and I'd put Q Tip. That's oh, my five. Yeah, Q Tip Q Tip is my sixth man. Does, that's a, does that's kind of insane to me, but okay. <laughs> it's kinda nuts. How is it okay. nuts? I mean, bro, like just yo he the other day someone sent me a link all right dj some, quick is my snippet. sixth man dj someone sent my me sixth a, man. i was gonna say bro and that's no disrespect to quick but somebody sent me a link and i mean look there's a lot of people we haven't mentioned who are amazing like daz for example daz is oh gosh shit Ka. he does he I does mean, his own well, well when <clears throat> He's either all in, he's either all in or not. He produces all his whole sure, albums, sure, or he'll just sure. get someone else to do it. But more times than not, his projects have been produced by him, and well, he uses that MPC one thousand. My favorite too. Ka album is, is produced by Preservation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Doctor yeah. Yenlo is easily my favorite Ka album. 
one of my favorite albums of all time. Like it's an all time classic. Yeah, it's a it movie. Is. To me, it's one of the most. To me, it is. To me, it's the most cinematic record of all time. Yep. All time rap wow. rap record. Pardon me. The most cinematic rap record of all time. Period. Wow. So I also got to give love to Diamond. I have to give love to LP. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have mm-hmm. to give love to both LPs, Large Professor and El Producto. Because I think word. Large Professor is actually a, a pretty good rapper. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do we count Outkast as producers? Cause they I don't. Produce. I'm one of those guys. No. I, I no? get that they were part of the creative process. I'm just big on like, did 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 you touch a sampler? Did your hands touch a machine or something? And and they didn't, and that's fine. It, it's I got like or, organized noise are they they they're the nucleus to me. I'm just I'm just being honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I also can't say that I give them the everyone we named, like they did it all. You right, know like that. True. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a stickler for that. Because like, I mean, also like. Uh, we're for, like ha, uh, RZA is is yeah, in the top twenty. A, obviously, that's a that's a that's a that's a tough one to admit. It's tough because because to there's admit. some there's some ups and downs there. Mm-hmm. Consistently, but he consistently is responsible down recently. for some very important things. Yeah, he, he kind of created its his own genre of music that. He's, it's the foundation of Mad Lib um, to, to uh, Rock, Marciano. You know, I mean, he, I feel like, call me crazy, but I feel like he was doing loops with no drums. And by he, I really mean, you know, it wasn't just him. It was really, because when you go and look at, I think about that sound really, really starting. Like no drums on Supreme Clientele. Because he was adding oh, drums definitely, before yeah. that. He was adding drums before that. But Supreme Clientele was when they just got super stripped down. Yeah. Um, and and, and it, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not mostly Rizzo on that record, right? It's, um, say that again? Who produced most of that record? It wasn't Rizzo, right? He produced a chunk of it. It, it. it was a few folks. It, like, I mean, Juju from the Beat Nuts did. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Psy, 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 Psycho Less did a beat. Uh, True Master, M- Mathematic. Yeah, like it was one of those things where like RZA did a chunk and then the rest of it was kind of spread out uh, with with a few folks. Yeah, yeah. and, I, and yeah. I know we're missing somewhere, somewhere, but that's okay. But the, yeah, there's, there's certain people who tap into stuff and when good stuff for Quelle happens, it I'm like I'm always like, well, it couldn't happen to a better guy, you know. And also, you were part of a rap collective called the Dugout with Cavalier, one of my favorite rappers, and and you know Star Power and Mercury, and Mercury was making beats without drums. Yes. In the early aughts, and I was, and I didn't get it at first, and then I was like, "Oh, this is really awesome." But that's because, and that's because he was a RZA. He was a that's his favorite producer ever was RZA, you know. Oh, and, three, and we were so, and we were so influenced by Supreme Clientele, both of us. Supreme Clientele is one of the greatest rap albums of all time. Without one of the greatest rec, records of all time, period. I mean, it just flows so 
you know, it's one of those records that like for a, a long time after it came out, people were acknowledging its greatness. And people for the last, I feel like five or six years, haven't been talking about that record with the same reverence they were maybe like, you know, I don't know how many years after it came out, but it's like, it's, that was like, that, that, that changed shit, man. You know, it's its that anniversary today, shit. right? February no 8th. Way. Yeah. No February way. 8th. Yeah. I just looked it up because wow. I was kind of, I, I figured as much. <clears throat> and then wow. I, I, yeah. I also remember too, because I, uh, when he came to Hampton University uh, to, to promote it, I DJed the autograph signing. So I kind of got to be like around him uh, for an extended period of time. So that was kind of cool. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. It's, it's not, it's not like when, um, it's not like when, when Ray, Raekwon stole my records around that same time when his second album came out and I DJed his, uh, I DJed all the autograph signings that, uh, for two years at Hampton and Raekwon wow. strong armed, Half a crater records from me. Yeah, it just kind of disappeared, <laughs> and I haven't seen him since. He took like all my Wu Tang records, and I have yet to see him. That was in two thousand. But it was worth. But it was worth the story. Oh, absolutely! It was the Immobilarity era, and we uh, don't really need. We don't uh, need to talk about that. Uh, we don't need to talk about that album. Yeah. Also, I do. I mean, I do have to say that that Madlib is is. He is a rapper, producer. He's, listen, I love, I love Quasimodo. Those two records are two of my favorite. Those are Desert Island records for me. Oh, wow. I know. That's just what, beat, I know. Beat, beat, just on the beat side of things, like, there are beats on there that don't, I've never heard anything like it, and I'll never hear anything like it ever again. Where it's like both melodic, and the, the chord changes are beautiful, and it's insanely weird. And wonky, insanely the, weird. You're the like, the beat for greenery, so so the, the beat for greenery off the Yo, second bro. album is is on, really bro. yeah yeah. And seasons Astro Black change off that seasons yeah. change. Oh, I mean, seasons change. That's my favorite Madlib beat ever. And this is a loop, but it's like probably my favorite one ever. I mean, what's the one that yo? Is it Don't Blink? Don't Blink. That beat is insane to me. Yeah, I'm like, how yeah. did you? How did you hear that? And it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's in. And it's just. Yo, he's 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 my number one. That's my favorite producer of all time. Take oh. off the table. That's my number one number one producer of all time. I think I think I would have to agree. I do have a special place in my heart for LP, both LPs and Doom and Q Tip. I don't know, a lot of the people that were that were mentioning and and a, a couple people, two more people that I'd like to, three more people I'd like to mention that are talented rappers, producers on the mic is uh, Peyton Locke, rest in peace. And also... Oh, man. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, good yeah. call. Yeah, it was a good wow. call. Edan, too, on that same... Uh, I, that's on my, that was on my three that yeah. I was about to yeah. say. Yeah, so Edan... Um, Count I gotta... I, I, I don't mean to... Ju- I, I have to because the weird guys always get left out. But uh, High Priest and Saeed from Antipop are really kind of out there producers. They're really in, they're really, they're gearheads. But in terms of just putting on a beat and rapping, they're both like, oh my gosh, uh, they're like they're they're I think they're amazing. But an, an, Antipop is oftentimes left out of hip hop conversations. But I'll leave and that I, alone. Yeah, I do love Rob Sonic, uh, Count Base D. <laughs> Damn, Rob Sonic. Oh my Count God, Scott. Count Base D. Oh my God. Yeah. For those who don't know, his album that he released last year was is is excellent. It's some of his best work. 
He's Bobby a great dude, already. and he's done some. He did some good music on on um, food, because we didn't say yeah. uh, Doom. Rest in peace, JD J Dilla. As a lot of yeah. you guys yeah. know him, yeah. rest in peace. Yeah. And this is all to say is that you know you got Quelle working on Judas and and the Black Messiah. You know, I I knew for I knew that I knew that when you when that was announced that that was going to be something amazing. How did that come about? Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that um, I I smuggled them in, man. Like basically, right? Because um, this is a this is a Hollywood picture that you're getting. Yeah, man. You sounded I mean, like Martin Scorsese like, when you said that Hollywood picture. That's like how Martin Scorsese <laughs> would say it. Um, so we had two composers attached: Craig Harris, who is you know full transparency, my uncle, but he's also a very accomplished jazz musician. Uh, played with everybody, and uh, you know, lead so leads, has had a lead career, you know, since I was before I was a child. You know, what I'm saying as a lead musician and toured and is very accomplished, but has never been able to uh, do movie movie scores. Just couldn't break in because that's a that's a tough click to break into um, as a musician. And so, I, you know, I wanted him, but I knew that I couldn't get him alone. And so we, you know, he and I strategized and we talked about bringing on uh, Mark Isham, who's like a legend, a uh, com- legendary composer, composed every, like, you know, do a Google search of that dude. And you're like, damn, he did every, he's done everything. And he um, came from the jazz world and my uncle knew, knew of him because before he moved out to Hollywood in the eighties, he was a trumpet player and he, you know, was tr- playing around the village with my uncle. And so they um, decided to, you know, work together. And the plan was for the two of them and our music editor, Marvin Morris, to assemble a group of jazz musicians on the East Coast. Mark lives in LA, Craig lives in New York. And they were gonna um, basically do something like Elevator the Gallows that Miles Davis do. They were gonna improvise oh, nice. a bunch nice. of, they would improvise the score, watch the movie, improvise the score, and then not not similar. I think Johnny Greenwood works that way, where he like just kind of composes independent of the film and then lays the music in uh, with the music epic. But then the pandemic hit, and so you know, Mark's in L.A., Craig's in New York. They're sending me comp stuff, but they can't record anything, so it's digi jazz. And you know how I, Scott, you know about me and MIDI jazz. Like it's a joke to me. You know what I mean? And so I couldn't use that stuff to really spot. And meanwhile, you know, top clock is ticking and the studio's like, yo, what's this movie going to sound like? Like, what's this music going to sound like? And so I, I did two things. One was I brought on board uh, music supervisor, Zach Cowie, um, who I'd met through Jesse Plemons, who plays Roy Mitchell in the movie. And he's, and, brilliant, uh, in that movie. he's brilliant. Yeah, I have to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesse Plemons is great. The acting film. performances yeah. are out of control, but... The Thanks, music. man. Thank you, man. Thank you. So, oh yeah, so, it's a um, really good movie. We we I don't think we ever said like. Yeah, I guess it's important to mention that. Yeah, the movie's Thanks. really good. It's Thanks. it's like, a incredible document. I love it. But yeah, Thanks. sorry, I keep Thanks. uninterrupted. No, it's alright. It's alright. So, um, Zach, uh, I actually like the inflated tear. So that's the song that you hear early on when O'Neill's casing the car. Mm. Um, and uh, it's by Rasan Allen Kirk, and I'd actually brought that record in 
to pitch meetings to play for uh, studio executives. Um, that's how like much I knew that I didn't even know if the song was going to be in the movie, but I just it felt like the movie. You know, it felt like O'Neill in a lot of ways, specifically. And so um, fast forward, we're in Cleveland shooting the movie. And Jesse's like, yo, I have this friend. He made this mix for me. He, you know, I know you have a sound that you're into, but you should check this out. And my curiosity got the best of me and I listened to it. And there was several songs that overlapped with, you know, music that I'd been, you know, assembled on this playlist when I was thinking about the film. And so I reached out to him. We talked and, you know, I was always like, just always had it in the back of my mind if down the line, you know, we needed a music supervisor. So when the pandemic hits and Craig and Mark are sending me these, this, this, these like MIDI jazz songs, I call Zach and I'm like, yo, I, I just need some stuff to like fill in here. And, you, you know, if it's good, nine. then we'll license it. Yeah. I just need him to like basically help me spot, you know? And so yeah. um, he, he's just sending me batches of songs and they're amazing. And they work great in the movie. And I'm telling Mark and Craig, like, yo, you guys are going to end up, like, not having as many cues because these songs are, are, you know, you're competing with Duke Ellington, you know? And they, it, it yeah. created, a, it created, like, some good competition. You know what I mean? Simultaneously, that was the first thing I did as a result of the pandemic. The second thing I did was I had Quelle just sitting with me. Uh, and my editor, Kristen Sprague, in edit sessions. And he would just be sitting there and just watching. And by the time we got and to the Kristen, first cut, he was like... Kristen's super huh? talented. Kristen's yes, super talented. I've worked with him a lot. Yes, he is. Um, I only work with him. And so... Um, we're... Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. We have Quelle just sitting in on sessions. And then one day, you know... Quelle's like, look, I think this music sounds great silent, but um, there's this one spot where I think I have something that could work here. And so it's this the shootout with at Panther headquarters. Quelle had this like kind of percussive track that he composed. It sounded nothing like anything else that was in the movie. It didn't sound like the jazz that Zach was providing. It didn't sound like the sketches of score that Craig and Mark were auditioning. It sounded like nothing, but it and it didn't sound of the era either. You know, these everybody else was kind of like approaching things from a like 1968, 69 perspective, and he didn't at all. But it sounded, but it was perfect for the scene. I mean, literally perfect. Like I knew it was perfect. I was surprised that you know the studio and the producers didn't even, didn't balk at how out of place it sounded. Um, but eventually, you know, because it did sound out of place, Mark, who insisted early on it sounded out of place, was like, all right, I'm going to build something around this. And he did, and then it really fit. And we realized, you know, in some of these scenes that could use a little bit more of an edge, that there was space for Quelle and his, his producing partner on this film and in other projects, Chris Keys, to um, create the sort of percussive kind of like clicks and just clap sound that ramped up the tension a little bit. And so, they started to add a bunch of music that Mark and Craig would then compose around and with, and a sound developed and they gave, I mean, they, they are a big part of it, a major part of it, you know? And, and it's, su yeah, it's super cohesive. And, and even though, you know, when you showed me, when you may or may not have showed me an early cut 
I remember the exact scene you're talking about because also our friend Tone Tank is is preceding this scene and he who also was in Newlyweeds and you directed a, a wild video of me and Tone many years ago on video cassette called 40s that I recommend yeah, you yeah. guys check out because it's it's wild. It's a good time. And then I, when, when I was watching it, I was like, dude, I don't know about the music. This is different. And you were like, no, no, give it a second. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, Quelle, you know, I recognized in him, like, you know, you want to hear a crazy story. So, like, you know, Cav, my best friend from high school, and mm -hmm. Cavalier, the rapper Cavalier, we used to live together um, at his, you know, his his family's house yeah in in bushwick and um you know i produced cab's first record mm -hmm. uh the breaking and so he'll come to me periodically and be like yo slept you know he knows i love music very slept on records i mean like doesn't exist <laughs> but uh but but you know one day he'll like he'll come to me and he'll be like yo you know who's got stuff this is not so much anymore because now he's like really you know quite established as an MC and so he's constantly getting offered beats but back then you know when he was making um I think it was Chief he yeah. was like just in the market for producers and so he came to me and he was like yo who, who's got stuff and I was like yo this is this dude Quale Chris man I don't know man he's got some stuff and uh fast forward he got connected to Quale through um Fresh Daily and next thing you know Quale was living upstairs from me recording mm -hmm. niggas as men above my head yeah yeah but like you know i i and so when quelle moved in it was like yo i i probably like i'm a really 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 big fan of music and you know you're living upstairs for me this is nuts we became friends obviously and uh you know i probably he's told me he's like i apparently have like the most unreleased quality Chris music probably next to him and, you know, Gene. Um, but I really have amassed quite a collection because, like, that dude's just, he's got a, he does a thing sonically that, that I my ears just really appreciate, man. You know, his stuff is so unlike anything I've ever really heard. Um, he's, he's so unabashedly himself. And yeah. it yeah. just makes for interesting music. And I remember like y'all were making that record that I'm not allowed to say the name of and like we're, we're working there. And then, yeah, what I've always loved about you, Shaka, is that that you recognize stuff in people like like when you when you had me score newlyweeds, I was like, I don't think I could do it. I don't know. And you were like, no, no, you can do it. And and like that that like how you were talking how it's really hard to get into scoring movies like i wouldn't have none of this none of my scoring stuff none of like even my new my new music which is like scores for, without movies like you helped me get there man and i love you for that i really do my pleasure man i love you too man i i remember telling you and you know you took it as offense but i was like yo you you i like your stuff without drums you know, um, and now you, that's what you make. That's funny that that's what you Yeah, I mean, 
and I well I use drums less less now. I I use them, but but I'll sometimes I'll be like, would Shaka like these drums? You know, and and if if I think you would, then I still work with it. Or I'll design some drums and then I'll take them out. Or I'll just like, you know, do these sort of minimal maximal, and just a couple things like, all right, so you film a period piece and then have to start editing in the middle of a global pandemic. And I just also want to say that the fits by by our friend Charlize Antoinette, yo, she, it looked like the Panthers. Like if you've ever seen the documentary, The Assassination of Fred Hampton, which I, I, I think y'all people might want to check out, you know, after or before or seeing this movie, probably after, I would say. Um, you see like... Either this, way, as long as you watch it, you know? Yeah, you got to watch it. It's on YouTube. It's there. It's very important. It gives you an idea of what people were trying to say back in the day about his death. Um, but I don't want to say too much about that because obviously you know Fred Hampton was murdered. But, you know, watch both of these movies to really understand. Because I think, I really think that that he was the missing link of, of like socialist thought in the West because he, he was the genuine article, Fred Hampton. Like, he was yeah, he was, was feeding people and he was teaching people and he had people like make sure they were in good shape and reading Trotsky and reading Mao, which which you know for better or worse, and just like he was a good dude. Like you can't you can try to to investigate and make him look bad, you cannot. And I think that was one of the big dangers of him. And you you made this movie. And you and like you feel the time, you feel the vibrations, you feel like you captured the time period brilliantly. And obviously, part of that was your vision and and the the costume designs. And also, like, can we talk for a second about your lead actors? Because holy shit! Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was saying, um, you know, and the crew and the and the production design. You know, it all kind of comes together to, to, you know, form what you see in front of you or what, you know, people will see on February 12th. Um, but yeah, the acting is, the performances are astonishing in this film. You know, I, I wrote the film for my four leads and I got the four leads I wanted, which is incredibly rare. And it's uh, true. I remember you telling me like, I want, like, this movie is banking on Lakeith Stanfield playing O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, I wrote it for him. I wrote it for him. I wrote it for Daniel. I wrote it for Dominique, and I wrote mm -hmm. it for Jesse. Um, and uh, you know, they are they they exceeded my expectations. I I, I do have a because you brought up da uh, da Daniel Kaluuya. Did he? <clears throat> did you guys have any talks, or did he during or after the fact talk about like the challenges of doing like the accent? You know that he had because I feel like of all the movies he's done, a lot of times he does play an American. I feel like this was the most nuanced because Fred Hampton is someone, you know, from Chicago who was raised 
by folks from Louisiana. So there's that kind of thing that, you know, that he had to capture, which he did. I have to be clear about that. Was that something that he mentioned that was like, oh, this was kind of a challenge going in? Uh, or did he just kind of, did, did he not even bring that up? Because I was always... No, I mean, we, we met for about five days a year before we started shooting mm-hmm. to see some of the work that he'd been doing. And okay. we, we ran through, um, you know, I gave him some influences, some people like, cause, cause you're right. Like Fred Hampton, a very distinct way of speaking. And actually he sp- spoke a lot faster than Daniel does in the movie. And I believe I have no evidence of this whatsoever, but I do believe from the tonality of his voice, he maybe have had a deviated septum. Um, cause there's a O sound in a lot of his speeches. Uh, that you know, people I know who have a deviated uh, septum, they display right. that sound in speech, and so um, I uh, I thought it was going to be we all, me, Dale, and I both. We talked about just like how challenging it would be to sort of Jamie Fox and Ray it with this one because the audience, a lot of audience members are not going to understand what's being said, and so I was like, we got to sure. slow him down. You know, we had to slow him down, and you know, we had to. Um, just make some other adjustments, you know what I'm saying? He had to like enunciate a little bit more sometimes, you know, we had to do some ADR work because even after we recorded it, you know, after, even after we found the right dialect, he still, it was still like, there were still people who weren't understanding what he was saying. And I mean, even now, I think sometimes people miss a line or two because it's not just wh- how he's saying it, it's what he's saying. A lot of times he's saying, you know, his phrasing, Fred Hampton's phrasing was like, yo, he was one of the first MCs. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. He speaks in metaphor. Cadence. He speaks in like, he, he's one of the first MCs. I was like, he speaks in like metaphors. Like he has bars. You know what I mean? Well, he's real. Yeah. Yeah, That's one does. of the reasons why I wanted to make the movie. You know, it was a big, big, big part of my, when I, when it really clicked for me was when I was like, yo, this dude's bars are crazy. Like to be able to get some of these in a Hollywood movie, like, yo, like you can't pass that opportunity up. You know what I mean? And so I think, I think that's part of it, you know, um, in terms of the challenge of sometimes understanding what he's saying, because you've never heard anybody speak like this, nor sound like this. Um, but it was, it took, you know, Daniel and it was really Daniel and Audrey Lacrone is, uh, really our dialect coach because she worked with all the actors and she's phenomenal. They really found the tonality that, that we landed on. Cause I truly believe that like syntacticians are going to study this performance to see like how you can really like capture uh, a voice and rhythm and style. And even though there Mm. were a couple times where it was like, oh, you know, this is the, you know, sometimes you, you needed to sort of listen a little bit better to like, hear what he was saying, but it was, it was, you know, totally worth it. And I remember when you were telling me about the movie, we were eating at a very nice Japanese restaurant in Fort Greene. And you were like, I'm going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it through the lens of, of O'Neill. And, and then I, I, I saw the movie in my head the day you told me about it. And it wasn't, it wasn't that different. The, the, the imagination you taught, you told me and, and the finished product. 
And yeah, like, what was that Eureka moment like? Yeah, I was saying um, it came to me like that. You know, the, the Lucas brothers, they came to me and they said, we want to make the departed inside the world of COINTELPRO. Starring, you know, about Fred Hampton and William O'Neill. And I was like, well, that's that I see that movie. I know what that is already. Um, and it was baked in, you know what I mean? And then once I saw once I read the interview and saw the interview, I was like, well, now we have a narrative device that we the can use of, the interview of, of William O'Neill. Yeah, I was like, now we have a narrative device. And so the truth of the matter is, is that like, there's a lot of trickery going on in this film because the movie's actually not from William O'Neill's perspective. It's just a movie that, you know, also centralizes his point of view. But I'd say like Fred Hampton's, Fred Hampton is really viewed through Deborah Johnson's eyes, mm. more so than William, mm. o, so William O'Neill's mm. eyes in the film. But it's the kind of thing where because of the interview and its placement, in the movie um and because William O'Neill is you know given equal or, or more screen time um it feels it feels like it's from his POV but it's totally not yeah it's sort of the 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 POV is actually the city and the viewer so yeah and I think the viewer is largely aligned with Deborah I think I think the viewer is largely aligned with Deborah because you grow to revere this man you know, and um, Deborah, her, his partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and in a lot of ways, you know, the movie starts with her being a poet, and at the end, being a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And you know, you as a viewer have much more in common with that poet, most people, than than that revolutionary at the end. But by the end, you ideally are furious, and in in one engage. You know, similar to how she did by the end. And you also see the, through the film, you see, you know, the, the danger of the powers that be when people start creating rainbow coalitions. Well, that was one of Fred Hampton's things, right? Was to like connect all the disenfranchised people of Chicago against, a, you know, about for, for a common goal. I don't know if I've ever asked you about this, Shaka. Have you seen the Free State of Jones? Never saw it. It's it's a movie that I really like. That is often, um, you know, panned and just dismissed as a as a white savior movie. But um, because because it's about it's it's told through this story of Newton Knight. And it's, you know, it's an armed re- revolt against the Confederacy. And right after this, right after the Civil War, um, directed by Gary Ross. And I, and it's about like, you know, poor, poor white and poor black people in the South being like, yo, we need to get together. Like, and like this, 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 you know, the, there we need to dismantle the rich and dismantle the power and they're they're screwing everybody over and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i read a wonderful article about adolf by adolf reed recommending this movie to not to not shrug it off and that was what was something that was so powerful for me because you know 
at least for me with your movie, you present this idea that you can't simply be, you can't be a class reductionist. You can't be a race reductionist. You can't be a power reductionist. All of these things connect. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Like absolutely. Some, yeah. Absolutely. And like some people call that racial capitalism, you know, all of these sort of things. It all it it's it's interwoven. And I think you did a really great job of um, of saying all of that. Am I totally off base? No, I mean I think, you know, we do it there's so much story to cover in this movie that it isn't the focus. But I do think that there's definitely an escalation of stakes once the Rainbow Coalition forms. And Fred going to prison is a direct response by, on the part of the state to the threat that that poses in a city like Chicago that's so segregated. And what, they said he stole ice cream or something? Yeah, he was accused of stealing 70-something dollars worth of ice cream and beating up uh, a... Um, like uh, a good humor man. Nothing. And the funny crazy about thing is, up a good humor the, 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 the crazy thing is that the guy that he was accused of beating up was fighting a war in Vietnam, and the state flew him back to Vietnam and pulled him out of the war to testify against him. That's how badly they wanted Fred Hampton in prison. That they pulled a guy out of Vietnam. So it's like it was clearly a setup, you know. Wait, if you watch Sounds the assassination right. of. Fred Hampton, like you see the cops trying to goalpost as more information starts to arise. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, also like, you know, you made this movie, it's coming out, it's really excited. What what are some other things that you've been enjoying these days? Movie wise? Whatever. You can answer Anything. the question however you see fit. And who's your favorite wrestler? I don't have a favorite wrestler. Um, unfortunately, I don't. I haven't watched wrestling since I was really, really, really young. What am I enjoying these days? Uh, it's been. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you probably want to edit this up, but I haven't been enjoying much lately, man. I've been. I've been in a, you know, not the greatest mood. Um. That's okay. So, I was going to say, so, that's all right. I so was I just going to say, it's all right. Okay. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been enjoying much at all, man. I've been pretty miserable, actually. I love you whether you're in a bad mood, a good mood, or in between mood. You can, you, sure. you know, we're, we're, we're true friends. Fair weather, bad weather. It's okay. Oh, I know this. I, I know this. Anything. You know, I just, I just didn't know if, you know, on the podcast, I should say, yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm literally not. You know, I'm literally not enjoying much. <laughs> like we've said all kinds of stuff. We have. We have close friends who listen to this show, and sometimes we'll reach out to either Scott, myself, or both, and be like, "Hey, I was listening to the show. You guys sound kind of down. Is everything all right?" So that. So that's the kind of environment Word. that 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 this podcast is. So. Word. Word. Well, yeah, that's that's where I'm at, man. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, have you? I was trying to think. Did you have you heard the new God Fahim album with your your old Droog? No, no. How is it? They don't have a name, but it's clear Makami, Fahim, and Euro Droog are like a crew essentially. And yes, I think yeah. everything that they've done prior to this collaborative album has been great. So Euro Droog's last solo album was excellent. Makami's uh, Mox Hard Lemonade was excellent. 
and Drew and and Fahim's production and work that he's done in both Hard Lemonade and uh, but um, Euro Jugs I saw them were great. So I think the fact I think there was a lot of hope going into oh oh it's really good and then it just kind of it's not that it's bad it's just like it's okay and and I think yeah. that a lot of the previous work was so good that people were expecting this to be great and the fact that it wasn't. It's kind of a huge letdown. Um, I will say, if yeah. just going back to what you were saying earlier, if you were saying you're not in the best mood and you're not a big wrestling fan, all I'm going to say is maybe when you have some downtime, YouTube some clips of the wrestler Bad News Brown. I feel like you'd be I remember a Bad, Bad News, News Brown. Brown. I remember Bad News Brown. You know what? I will say this. I'll t- you know what? What, cl- what? You know who I do love to watch when I watch clips of old wrestling? Is that- interviews is Macho Man. To me, Macho Man sure. was my favorite interviewee he was so strange. I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, he was on a lot of cocaine, I guess. He was but, like that. So just so you know, off the camera, that's also his personality. And and it's and it's been 100% <laughs> across the board. See, I'm a big wrestling guy. I like to watch shoot interviews, which is, you know, wrestlers talking about stuff behind the scenes, like out of character. And 10 out of 10 times, it's like Randy Savage was, was really like that. He so, talked like that? Yeah, yeah. He he was he was just an animated. He was also he was also famously very parrot. He was a very paranoid person, and he always thought folks were out to get him. He always thought people were plotting against him. So that's also what he was very literally. He was a guy that looked over his shoulder a lot. He thought people were out to get him. There was, so so that that was a big part of why he was the way he was. So. I'll, be, I'll be who could who could play him in a movie? Who could play Macho Man in a movie? Who could play Macho Man Randy Savage in a movie? They're, they're about to. Well, it's funny you say that. He's going to be cat. They're, they're, they're trying to figure that out because Chris Hemsworth is playing Hulk Hogan in this Hulk Hogan biopic, wow. Wow. and Randy wow. Savage was a big part of. So him and Hogan were best friends and then absolute enemies during the course of their friendship. So he's a big part of the Hulk Hogan story in more ways than one. So that so they're trying to figure that out now. Who could play him? And I got to be honest, I don't know who I between the his 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 physique. Physique is the hardest part. I, I don't know who part, could. He's so big. He was so massive. Yeah. Well, no. Well, he kind of. Well, size. His sure. Height wise, not not, 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 not so much. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, but his it, back was yeah. insane, man. Yeah. I'd say okay. I'm a thought a name. Stan Sebastian. Okay. I just okay. I just wonder if I wonder if they're trying to the fact that Chris Hemsworth. I wonder if they're trying to separate the whole Marvel thing, but I, I, I feel like at this point, a lot of people who've been in Marvel movies are going to be in other non-related movies, so I guess it doesn't I'm really a thought, matter. I'm going to throw out the name I first thought about, but I don't know. Um, I think as an actor, he's the perfect person. He probably he could get that big because he's a big guy. Tom Hardy. Yo, yo oh. I, wish you could, I wish you could see my screen right now, bro. Wow. He's bulked up, and a lot of people, because a lot of people talk about Bane, but Bronson, he's bulked up for a couple of roles, actually. I remember him from Bronson, yeah. I just wrote Tom Hardy or Jason Statham. That was who I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, No, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy was my first thought, and I was like, like, could he get jacked up? But but Tom Hardy is easily the one. He's the one, man. You need need some, ideally, you want someone who's a little off. Yeah, and he, he is, he is. You know? And I mean, yo, like, cause the way the reason I loved Macho Man was his style. Just like, yo, I'm gonna have my back to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he was yeah. such a weirdo, man. 
that voice, I just, I can't believe he talked like that, like when the cameras weren't rolling. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's what I like so much about him and, and wrestling. It's just cause like, it's like these weird dudes who just like probably would have liked to have been drama kids, but were really good at lifting weights. <laughs> Very so, true. Like they did this other sort of perform. It's performance art. That's Listen, all Jeff. It is. Jeff Jared, uh, who's the son of Jerry Jared, uh, who uh, was a big wrestling promoter, and Jeff Jared was, you know, a Hall of Fame wrestler. Jeff Jared, when he was on um, podcast, he always says that they got a lot of their cues from silent films. So Jeff Jared was like, as oh, a wrestler, when you're doing like a promo, he says. He says, when it comes to theater, too, when you perform and when you act and when you talk, you're performing for the person in the back row, not the person in the front row. And that was an old model from theater people back in the day. And it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, I have the WWE Network and I've been abusing it ever since this whole pandemic. And I've been going over, I've been trying to cover blind spots and I've been watching old stuff from when I was a kid. And you see it, the way they bug their eyes, the way they're they're big and expression. It's like, it's total Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd type stuff. And it makes me appreciate it even more. Especially now, because they're wrestling in an empty stadium. uh, So it's way more more about the theatrics. Way more about the theatrics than ever. So, Which is super yeah. performance art. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And yeah, and also I just also um full circle, you know, um some of my favorite songs on Wap Con Judge by Makami, produced mm-hmm. by Quelle Chris. And also, did you know Breeze Bruin just came out with a new record that's good? Somebody told me that recently. It's you know, it's I mean, really it good. Shout out to Breeze. He's he's the Wow, you want to know something crazy that that just wow, I just put this together. So the last time we were all in the same space, this I was, was just well before the pandemic. Same thing. I was just thinking the same thing. It was at a yeah. beat house show. Quelle was there, Breeze was there, just chilling in yeah. the audience. Yeah. Breeze was there. Uh we mentioned Jean, she was there. Me and Scott, we went there together. Shaka was there. I think that wow. That 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 was like a couple of years ago, but still. This yeah. makes me yeah. wow. The last party I went to well, yeah, the last party I went to was was Shaka's birthday last year. Same, yeah. and, and it will and will soon be there again. Except this time, I'll be like everybody else, celebrating on Zoom. Oh yeah, I guess so. I was gonna say, and but in in a little while, we'll all be able to get together and you know hug the homies and and share the flowers so we can smell them while we're all here. And have a good time, and you know, go straight Julio with it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just wanted to say as we, as we sort of uh, get get ready to to close up, if there's anything that you'd like to say about the movie or what's going on or or newlyweeds or whatever before we uh, before we wrap up. And also, no, thank man, you. just. No, my pleasure, man. Just um, go uh, go to theaters in places that you can go to theaters if it's in fact safe. And if not, just watch the movie on HBO Max because that's the beauty of this release system. Um, you know, you can you can do either. Uh, and uh, you know, if you have a sound bar, employ it because the, the shit sounds great. You know what I mean? The movie really does sound great. So you know. 
if you got a sound bar, employ it, turn the mute, turn it up and enjoy, you know? Shaka, I really think that this movie's going to resonate with people. I I think it's going to be a success and it couldn't happen to a better team. Agreed. Thanks. And, thanks. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And of course, I, man. you know, I'm going to give you a big hug when I see you next. Yeah. I hope I hope uh we can do that. Mm-hmm.